our reading. That might have been on, you've, you've been doing some reading. Let's begin. Poetry night rings through. All right. Well, why don't you come up to the mic? Please welcome Matthew Glant. Because I'm a teacher, I think, and I'm used to, well, I mean, inspiring kids, but I'm used to shouting over kids who don't want to have anything to do with what I'm saying, um, I, I may not even be on the mic much. Um, so I wanted to start with what we call OPP, Other People's Poetry, and that is mainly this book that I have five copies of. This is a book that took me three years to compile. Uh, mainly because uh, when people go to the National Poetry Slam, they, you know they've they've been in Poetry Slam in their city, one of like the 75 cities around the country, the world even. You know they're in Poetry Slam and they they're involved in it and very intensely for three or four years. And they they start out and they slam poems and then they get really good at it and their their the audience likes them and then they go to a couple nationals like I did, and and then they just kind of. I don't want to say they fade because they don't get interested anymore, but, you know, the young talent is coming up and everyone's all fired up and it kind of, they kind of just get phased out a little bit. So I had to really find some of these poets. So what I, what this book is, Red Reads First, is uh, every single National Poetry Slam has side events. And it's actually way better. I think the side events are better than the actual bouts, uh, which is the point of the whole slam, you know, the competition and all that. But um, one of the bouts, one of the side events that I love was the head-to-head haiku deathmatch, which is just as cool as it sounds. Um, so I went back and researched and found the first place and the first runner-up, so first and second place, from every head-to-head haiku slam since 1995 up through 2012. And I included National Poetry Slam, Individual World Poetry Slam, which started in the late 90s maybe, and Women of the World Poetry Slam, which started sometime after year 2000. So, I will, and I'm not in it. I just compiled it. I competed in them and lost handily um, every time, twice that I was in it. So I will read just a few. Um, at least one person in this book maybe has some local flavor to you guys, and that is uh, Jack McCarthy. Um, so he was the last one that I got. It took me three years to get uh, in the, during the time, of course, he passed away, and it was had a really hard time getting a hold of Carol. He used to live in New Hampshire, where I'm from, and then he moved to Boston, and, and then he moved out here, and then, you know, so pretty. I was just talking to Carol today, actually. So, um, <clears throat> I'll read a couple of his. Uh, I have some by R.C. Was, R.C. Wozlowski, Vancouver, just, just over the fire, perhaps. <laughs> um, Jack McCarthy, even in heaven, Jesus weeps at all the shit that's done in his name. At a head-to-head haiku slam, the way that you applaud haiku is with the sound of one hand clapping. So, if, if, if you feel like it. The man with his hand on the nuclear button can't pronounce the word. Uh, sometimes Jack liked to, uh, like to title his haiku. This is called Birthday Haiku. Others brag of sex. I have documents to prove it. I am 69. 
And then I'll just, I'll just read a couple others. Um, <clears throat> and then get into my stuff, which is hopefully uh, matches up to this. Um, this is by a poet named Logic out of Detroit. Florida oranges leave sour aftertaste. They've become a strange fruit. God strummed the guitar, thought of gypsies painting funk, and Hendrix was born. My girlfriend fucked me so good I forgot to take off my wedding ring. It's a little messed up, but... <laughs> uh, Jerry Hardesty is a poet out of uh, Alabama. She's she's won she's won the most of any female. She she's won, I think, eleven different haiku slams. She's amazing. She's like only ten because they only there's ten haiku per thir, uh, author and thirty five authors. Boy, man, knife, wallet. Man replies, "Take my coat too, son. It's cold tonight." And then I said R.C. Wazowski, so I will read two of his and then go into my stuff. But this is a great book, 12 bucks, uh, well worth my effort of three years emailing people to uh, get them to give me some stuff. Uh, Such a bad lover. I fake my own orgasms when I masturbate. (laughs) And uh, to finish which isn't a poem you'd ever finish on, which I am not. I'm going to do my own stuff. I'm so progressive that I taught my own children to abort themselves. All right, so I want to take a brief survey. Uh, So that's Red Reads first. I want to take a brief survey. I have several um, uh, pop culture references and a lot of poems in this book, and I have found when reading them to audiences that if the majority of the audience hasn't seen that particular movie from 1985 or watch the same TV shows I do they just kind of go so by show of hands who here is a fan of the WWE I'm not going to explain it because if you don't know what it is then you're not a fan of it okay so that one's out who here has seen the movie Up okay who here is a fan of Batman no this is a survey this is different who here now, don't, not to be confused with the shitty MTV series remake crap fest, who here has seen the 1980 movie, 1980s movie with Michael J. Fox called Teen Wolf? Hmm. And uh, the other classic, who has seen Princess Bride? Oh, yeah. Oh, Jesus. How many times have we seen Princess Bride? All right, so I'm just going to do a mishmash of poems from the book, from uh, a forthcoming chapbook that I didn't print because I flew in today. And then drove here. And by the way, if no one had told me that there was a smoke problem, I would have just assumed that it was hazy around here. I had no idea. I'm like, too bad I can't see all these cool mountains everyone talks about. <laughs> well, I'm here till Thursday morning, so maybe the fires will be done by then. Um, <laughs> all right, so um, I'll start with one of those uh, pop culture ones. <sighs> Before the cuts on my face healed, the pain was too much to rest on either side of the pillow. So I learned to keep my head in the middle. And after too many mornings of hands bruised from dream duels of midnight shadows, 
I learned to keep them crossed over this wound I thought would never heal. So, I look dead when I sleep. No words exist for the sound a heart makes when exposed to open air. I was a mercenary for that heart. But the killing should have ended when I avenged my father, reflected my pain into his murderer's eyes that should have been enough. But I still sailed. Death was once again my business. My father's sword burned in my hands. Never again shall I live according to the misdeeds of any stranger, not one I already spent a lifetime in pursuit. So he was wrong when he said I'd make a wonderful pirate. I shudder at the years that followed, at all the violence. But my name did not die with my father, and there's no need to sail a ship called Revenge when I already have mine. So he was wrong when he said I'd make a wonderful pirate. I shudder at all the violence that followed. I fucked that up. Good thing I have a perfect copy of it right here. <laughs> Pardon me. It's the smoke it got in my lungs. Yeah. It's having a hard time remembering the poem. <laughs> I have family in Canada. The other side of Canada, but still. <clears throat> Where the heck is the poem? Maybe I'll check the table of contents, which is also in there, like a real book. Hmm. 70. It's not the perfect answer. It's just a decent poem. So he was wrong when he said I'd make a wonderful pirate. I would rather forget the past 20 years and reminisce them. And now I wear this sword like shame. My name is Inigo Montoya. I look dead when I sleep. I could not smile for years. And I think that I now finally understand how my mentor felt, why he dressed all in black. Life is a funeral procession. We just hope the body that leads it isn't our own. Uh, is anybody in here, just being random, a veterinarian? Good. This is five reasons to never date a veterinarian. <laughs> One, when you fall in love, you won't be able to stop wondering what breed he's comparing you to. Your heart will be just another muscle whose contractions he'll have imagined while reading a textbook. Two, any vet will tell you that we are more like animals than most would admit. This means that when you kiss, their hands aren't only on your face to position it, but also to spot check blood flow and muscle tone, which makes the moments between kisses like checkups, oral exams, praying they don't find something that's not supposed to be there. Three, Veterinary medicine teaches that all life is sacred and worthy of preservation. To them, you are just a vessel that has surprisingly survived this long. What with your noticeable lack of armor, teeth, leonine grace, you will never feel so alive and inadequate as when their touch mistakes your softness for a flaw. Or, 
disease means a natural order. Just shut up on me. Disease means a natural order has suddenly begun to decay. Health is never a guarantee. They are used to teaching others how to ensure the longevity of their loved ones. With you, he does not share the same advice, and you wonder how long you've got. Five, they will make your relationship a rescue shelter. You are just another occupied stall. No one cares for those whose pain comes from past relationships. You are just another creature with needs. Always remember that to a veterinarian, the heart is just a muscle. They just have to keep it going, not care when it breaks. My wife sings jazz standards in the shower because the language of jazz is well suited to the noise. My wife says that her voice sounds best in there, that the awkward slope of the ceiling plus the geometry of the tiles makes her unmatched acoustics. I disagree. My wife sings jazz best when she's sick. When the vibrato of her cough has shaken loose mucus with each, when the, the shaking each, oh my God, has shaken each with each vibrato cough. The only time I ever hear my wife sing is when I'm anywhere in the house within range of the upstairs bathroom. You see, my wife only shyly plies her instrument in private and at work. Where she says it doesn't matter how she sounds because the kindergartners will love it regardless. I want my wife to sing like her five-year-olds, unashamedly loud, for the sheer joy of it. I want to sit and I want to watch my wife dance barefoot on the back porch, talking jazz to the animals and the trees, dancing barefoot, because my wife sings jazz best when she's got water falling on her head and when she's sick. Now, I never want either of us to ever be sick, but when we are, I like it when my wife sings to me. And I never want either of us to ever get so sick that we end up in the hospital. Do, I want my wife to make the doctors dance. Now, if she were to die before me, and she knows this, and every poem thereafter, every day thereafter, would all be for her. But what I haven't yet voiced is my wishes should I beat her to the grave. I want my wife to bury me in the rain. Wait for a storm to lower my body into the ground, but before I'm gone, I want my wife to close her eyes and imagine... She's in the shower, and I am anywhere else in the house, within range of the upstairs bathroom, listening to her talk jazz to the tiles and soap, her voice raspy because of the weather. Uh, this book, this book uh, called Hope for the Body, uh, I need. I, th I felt that I needed a theme, sort of a, a way to hold the book together rather than just putting 35 or 42 or whatever, just kind of random poems. So I went through my, my notebooks and I basically tried to find any poem that had to do with a body, my own, other people's, um, and Hope for the Body actually came from the end of that uh, Dread, Dread Pirate Roberts poem. I'm sorry, the Indigo Mother poem. Well, kind of the same thing, right? Um, <clears throat> so I think there was a lot of hands raised for Teen Wolf. Good. Big fan of that movie myself. Uh, this is called Puppy Love. A note from Scott Howard to Booth. You gotta remember the movie. <laughs> the claw marks in the closet were for free. Porn sweater, 
back scratch, the blood, and you shook your head like it was just a kiss. We both felt the animal within, but I wasn't ready to accept him yet. You never were. Even though the fur brought fame, it was always you I wanted. My best friend, gorgeous in that everyday way. And being a teenager is hard enough. Single parent, 80s, terrible basketball team, but lycanthropy. I wanted to be your animal. You wanted Scott Howard. But Scott Howard couldn't dunk or dance or howl. In that closet, as the crowd cheered Styles, I growled in heat, a man-beast-seeking prey. But you didn't need another pet. I might have been better at ball and friends with the world, but it wasn't Scott, so it wasn't for you. What a tabloid blitz we would have been. Corrupted by legend, your back a cruel portrait of my condition, your lips my silver bullets. When Mick sucker-punched me at the spring dance, I slashed at his chest, shredding his shirt. World was aghast. We had just danced and kissed. And then I changed. Scott Howard could have died that night, but for my father, who you beat in one on one. Oof, I have a pup in my chest that wants to play. That's the real me. When we kiss, I close my eyes, see the clear night sky and your face in the stars. Never forget the pierce of my claws on your back, how you made me come home. How your eyes are every phase of the moon. I never even watch the MTV show. Can't be better than the original. This is the newest poem that I've written. I wrote it a few days ago uh, to read at a reading in D.C. Spit that, which is such a cool read. Uh, it's called Reflection the most unoriginal title for a poem now that I think about it. But maybe it's different. I noticed it at the gym. All these younger versions of me posturing between sets. Who am I kidding? During sets. <laughs> I used to tell myself that I was most concerned with technique. That doing the lifts correctly was more important than lifting the most weight. Or wearing sleeves. But I can admit it now. I was there to be seen, judged, compared, there to pare down the fat around my muscles, bulk up my confidence with curls, presses, and squats. I notice it at school. All these younger versions of me posturing between classes. Who am I kidding? During classes. I used to tell myself that I was most concerned with passing, that not failing was more important than learning or carrying books. But I can admit it now. I was there to excel, be taught and learn, earn the right to write and speak, bulk up my prose with poetry, prosody, and practice. That's who I was then. Started hitting the gym at 13, left it behind at 22, re-entered at 37, and I have to keep reminding myself that I'm only one of those numbers now, the greatest. That's who I am still. Started hitting the books at 13, never left them behind. Constant reinvestment in my game, though I have to keep reminding myself that I can always read more, write more, read more, that I'm only worth my next poem, which probably won't be the greatest, though I still have to write it. This is the best version of me so far, and this is the best poem this version has in him right now. 
how I am in this moment is how this poem is in this moment. I weigh the same now as I used to bench back in college. I've filled more notebooks with poems since college than I wrote in all the time I spent there. I used to put two of me on my own shoulders and go up and down once, twice, three times at best. I used to crush four books per semester. Now I toss quarter shelf bowls and calendar crossouts like cornhole. You got another game? Okay. It took me 17 years to build this body, 37 to craft this mind. 90 minutes in the gym soaks my shirt with sweat. An hour with a pen swamps pages in blue. These legs hold up 340 pounds. These pages bear 10 times that many words. What I notice at the gym and in school is how many people I suspect know exactly why they're there but won't admit it to themselves for 20 years. Or at least that's how long it took me to gain, wait for it, respect. <laughs> to stop being washed with a book and start ripping strength from its heart. Do you ever notice how many mirrors there are in a gym? It never made sense to me. I only ever saw myself in a book. This was a poem uh, before, was like, what's your quest, what's your goal? I try to set goals for myself with writing. Sometimes it's numbers, sometimes it's other things like that. Uh, one year I was on a kick, it was the year that this book came out, uh, or it was came together anyway, where I, I was really into writing persona poems. And I just wrote endless, endless persona poems. Video game characters, characters from literature, characters from movies, characters from just everything. Just I wrote persona poem after persona poem. The one that I wanted to write the most was this one, and it took a long time to come together, and um, I really like it. It's called The House Talks to the One Who Set It Free. I was already old when she made me into a ship. Strung rope from window around weather vane and back down again. I was already old when you stumbled in, so timid. When she nudged you after the balloon, I didn't mean to break you. Never thought you'd be back after that. That's why I wasn't ever ashamed to bear the colors you chose for me. It felt like penance. One thing I could do for two kids who found each other in a place no one else wanted to live. The hardest part of being a house is the helplessness. I will keep you from being cold and wet. You will always have a place to sleep and eat, but I cannot cry for you. I wanted to comfort your wife as she sat alone in the backyard, unsure why clouds wouldn't stay afloat inside her. I wanted to tell her it would be okay, that good people aren't punished, but tested, and that where you live doesn't have to stay the same forever. I wanted to thank you for making my insides beautiful, too. You painted your dreams on my heart, and every day after her death, I wanted to stretch my legs and stride away from there, this is why I didn't mind when you gave me that clown wig, roots strung tightly as a guitar. Thank you for lifting me above all the faceless strangers, above the roads that used to be dirt, over a city I never knew, and a world. All houses dream of such movement, of the sky. There is so much we cannot do, that we do not see, that we only hear about. I heard you call me Ellie. How lucky you were to grow old together. I was already old when she made me into a ship. And I was even older when you gave me the sky. I 
felt like an angel tethered to the ground by a garden hose. And you, my anchor, timid no more, and so determined to bring us someplace more perfect than dreams allowed, where a nostalgia temple with a foundation of cloud belongs, where paradise falls away from expectation and floats like mist above a vendor's cart or a heart now still. I'm going to finish by doing five or six really short poems, a few of them haiku, a couple of them just really short, because uh, I think that I started with short poems and it's a good way to come full circle and end with short poems as well. Um, some of the haiku in here have titles and some of them do not. This is called, <laughs> I should ask this for the, uh, it's funny because I think this movie took place closer to here than where I live. It's called Lawsuit. Chunk slips disc doing the truffle shuffle. Sue's mouth for all his wishes. That one always gets the most laughs just on the first word. Just say chunk 17 times. Um, <clears throat> I'm only flipping because I don't know the titles of these. Ah, that's right. Asthma. I want to run, but my lungs are full of broken glass and barefoot breaths. Not a haiku called Plush. When I was 13, I woke up with a shag rug spread between my nipples so plush that were you to walk barefoot starting at my belly and ending at my face halfway home would have been your bliss <laughs> it seems to reference something that I might be into that I'm not I just, it was just one of those things you just paint the picture <laughs> yeah. That was, you know what, that was one of those, maybe you've heard this story before or something like it, where like you, you write a poem for a class, right, or a high school class or a college class, and it's like pages long, and you dedicate all this time and craft to every single stanza. And then you hand it to the professor or the teacher, and they read the first stanza, and they're like, it's fantastic, stop right there. And you're like, no, 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 there's so much more. They're like, yeah, but you, it's all said, you did it, done. Next, like, no, 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 that's not, it's not done. Except that I did that to myself because I'm a teacher. So that was the first stanza of a much longer poem. I just, damn it. <laughs> okay, so two haiku to finish, and then thank you very much, and books for sale, and uh, whatnot. So the first one is called Afterlife. Jesus and Gandhi are roommates in heaven. Fridge is empty. <laughs> and then my last poem is uh, the, this is, should have been my first maybe, but it's the description of my first poem ever. Written in the womb, voice of a raindrop waiting to fall from a cloud. Thank you very much, Valiant.
keep it going for Matthew Galan. Galan. Podcasts.